So I, I'm actually not originally from Johnston County. I always jokingly say I got here as fast as I could. Right. Uh, but I grew up in a place called Hendersonville, North Carolina, near Asheville. And I was a forest ranger at the time. And so I moved here to work for the Forest Service. And I worked at Griffith Forestry Center in Clayton. And then I worked in the Raleigh office in downtown Raleigh. What year did you move to Johnson County? I, you know, I was trying to think about that when I was driving up here. It's been close to 40 years ago. It's been about 38, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I've been here a long I've lived here longer than anywhere else. And Johnston County's home to me. My daughter was born here. And so it's just one of the most fantastic places I've ever been. I love it here. Welcome to another episode of Best of Johnston County, brought to you by Breeden Law Office. Our host, Jonathan Breeden, an experienced family lawyer with a deep connection to the community, is ready to take you on a journey through the area that he has called home for over 20 years. Whether it's a deep dive into the love locals have for the county or unraveling the complexities of family law, Best of Johnston County presents an authentic slice of this unique community. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Best of Johnston County podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Breeden, and today we have a special guest with us and Patrick Harris, who's one of the Johnston County commissioners and the former fire chief in Smithfield. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation with him about how he sort of got here, his role as a county commissioner, and where he sees the county going. If you've been following this podcast, we had um, Adrian O'Neill, the um, Parks and Rec director on, and some other people talking about the county and where it's going. We've talked about the Copper District on this podcast. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about all of these things in the time we have, because Patrick and I could talk for hours and uh, get his vision for where this county is going. Welcome, Patrick. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invitation to be here. No problem. Well, let's start with who you are, what you do. <laughs> we'll get into the rest of it. So I, I'm actually not originally from Johnston County. I always jokingly say I got here as fast as I could. Right. Uh, but I grew up in a place called Hendersonville, North Carolina, near Asheville. And I was a forest ranger at the time. And so I moved here to work for the Forest Service. And I worked at Griffith Forestry Center in Clayton. And then I worked in the Raleigh office in downtown Raleigh. What year did you move to Johnson County? I, you know, I was trying to think about that when I was driving up here. It's been close to 40 years ago. It's been about 38, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I've been here a long time. I've lived here longer than anywhere else. And Johnston County's home to me. My daughter was born here. And so it's just one of the most fantastic places I've ever been. I, I love it here. So... Did you go to school for forestry? Where did you go to school? I actually went to school at a bunch of different things. I went to the Institute of Government. I went to the uh, National Fire Academy. I graduated from the Justice Academy in Salemburg. Okay. So I was, a, I was a fire inspector, fire investigator, and a fire marshal. And then I ended up promoting up to assistant chief and then chief. And then I retired as director of emergency services for Smithfield after about 25 years with them. So when did you get in? I mean, so while you were working in forestry, you decided to be like maybe a volunteer firefighter or part-time firefighter. That's how most firefighters well, start. Well, so I did start out as a volunteer. And the other thing that happened was the Hamlet uh, chicken plant fire, which triggered an entire set of regulations all over North Carolina. And so I sort of saw that. And at the time, I was working all 100 counties of North Carolina with the Forest Service. I was traveling around doing with the interpretive forester, doing exhibits, designing and building, and doing voiceovers. I've, my voice has been a talking tree and a talking rock and all kind of things. So, but, so I was doing that, but my daughter was born, and I was really missing out on a lot of things. So I wanted to be closer to home. 
So I applied for the Smithfield Fire Department, and my office was two blocks from my house, and I could go home for lunch. And so I went there as a fire inspector. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what year that was? That was 1992, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so it, it's been a, it's been a, quite a transition. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. So, you know, and I remember, I mean, growing up in Laurenburg, I remember the Hamlet fire. I knew people that were there, that worked there. And I tangentially knew some people that passed away in that fire. And, uh, you know, the, the doors were locked. I mean, and the people basically couldn't get out. And and that's, that's horrible. Uh, I, I'm fortunate I did not know anybody directly, but, you know, Laurenburg, Hamlet, Scotland, Richmond County, not that big. And, you know, I knew people that, that knew people I had family there and it was, it was really, really sad that, that, that it was that way. And they locked the doors because they thought people were still in the chickens and that's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And anyway, and, 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 but I do think it led to some changes to where we haven't had anything like that since. No. <laughs> there was sweeping legislation all over you know, North Carolina to to eliminate that from ever happening again. And I think that's one of the things that motivated me to take that turn and go into the code enforcement part in the fire service. It was a way I could make a difference. I've always had this thing about, I want to leave it better than I found it. And so whether it's politics or as a firefighter or even as a forest ranger, I always, I've always had that need to try to improve things as best I can. Right. So when you go, when you joined Smithfield as a fire inspector, were you are we riding the truck? Were you fighting fires, kicking down doors? I don't know what fire inspectors, I know the fire inspectors look for dangers in business, but were you doing the other parts of the job too? Well, back then it was a small department. So when I was a forest ranger, I was also a volunteer fireman. Okay. And so that sort of started that transition. And then when I went there as a paid employee, you know, it was a small department. We did everything. So you might be riding the truck now and you might be doing a fire inspection this afternoon. Right. <laughs> but, but it was a it was a good transition. It was the first fire inspection program that Smithfield had ever had. Okay, and we started that and uh, and developed it uh, over a period of time to to the point we had a fire marshal's office and we took over investigations and the, the whole speed. Okay, well that's cool. Yeah. So at some point you became the fire chief, right? I did. Uh, my uh, I was promoted up to assistant director, assistant chief, and then uh, our chief retired. And then upon his retirement, I was appointed the new chief and director of emergency services. Back then we had fire and EMS together. Okay. So we were, I was the EMS chief also for Smithfield. Okay. Did you know anything about EMS? I did. I did. I was an EMT. And, okay. Uh, you were an EMT too. I didn't know yeah, that. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's a whole list of certifications that go along with this process. <laughs> but they don't just let you in the door without it. But, but it was a lot of fun. And I actually taught the fire academy at Johnston Community College for many years. And so it was it was a good transition. I remember one time you and I were touring the, they built the new fire training buildings there and you and I were taking that tour and I was, I was looking at it going, I don't quite get it. And you were trying to explain to me how they would light the fires in these things from your training experience. And you said to me, you train, I want to say if I get this right, firefighters train to where they 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 don't get it wrong or you said that they they keep training till it's almost second nature what to do when they come into a building like this and this building could be set up like a hotel with several rooms i didn't think about a hotel being on fire but but what was it what was that statement you said you train till you can't get it wrong or well something along that line i have right. a lot of sayings but, right so that's you know that's one of the things that we did we would we would train and drill over and over and over until it just became second nature that way in the event of a you know three o'clock in the morning and you just rolled out of bed and you've got to pull up in front of a 
burning building that, that it just comes naturally, that you right. don't have to think about it other than just your calculations for loads and things of that nature. Right. Because, I mean, it's I mean, it's a tremendous job. I guess so it's the Smithfield Fire Department. Most of these fire departments, they still have some volunteers, but some of them have a lot of paid staff, too, as, as that is sort of transitioned even since I've been here because, I mean, I think the Cleveland Fire Department runs, I don't know, I don't know how many calls it is a day, but it's a lot. Uh, where you can't just rely on volunteers. They have a lot of professional firefighters now. Well, that's what's happened is the county has grown. The call volumes have increased dramatically. When I first became a volunteer fireman with Smithfield, we were running about 350 calls a year. When I retired with Fire and EMS together, we were running about 5,000 a year. And so it was a dramatic increase. And so, you know, to expect volunteers to be able to leave their workplace that many times a day Right. Uh, I mean, we've gone out as many as 12, 13 times a day. And you just can't, right. you can't leave your business that many times no. and, go, uh, and go fight a fire. So we had to hire a paid staff. Right. Well, and, and Cleveland now has largely a paid staff, as does 5210 and some of the bigger departments. But I think some of the smaller departments in the county still have volunteers. Well, you know, a lot of departments still do rely on their volunteers. And we've got a great group of dedicated people that are there to you know, do as much as they possibly can, but a lot of the departments are hiring some paid staff just to take care of the day-to-day paperwork and the hydrant testing and you know, hose testing, all the things that have to be done to be prepared for that emergency. And then they utilize the volunteers when the alarm actually sounds. So when did the fire change from fire departments now get, get sent out to everything, whether it's a fire or not? When did that start to change and why did it change? Well, our 911 center is nationally accredited in fire, law enforcement, and um, EMS. And so part of that national accreditation is that they use a computer-aided dispatcher, a CAD system that dictates who goes on what call. And, And typically, I always jokingly said that whatever doesn't fit another category, the fire department gets lumped into it. So if it's not a law enforcement call or if it's not an EMS call or if it's not a whatever, then the fire department's going to get sent. And so, and a lot of the calls we run simultaneously, you know, right. with first responders, we back up EMS on uh, medical calls. We, we go on motor vehicle accidents. I say we, I'm out of the service right, now, right. but it, it's, it's an old habit, but it's, there's just a lot of activity in the county. I, I was on my way here today and there was a, an accident, a vehicle accident on the 210 right at Cleveland Road. And so I sat in the traffic for a good 10 minutes waiting, you know, to get to get through. So, you know, any time of the day, hi, there's something going on in this county. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But I, I know that, you know, now, I mean, the fire department goes to everything. And, and when I was a kid, that was not the way it was. But that is the way it is now that, I mean, if there's, I mean, the fire department goes to car wrecks. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I would say, I don't know. And hopefully we'll have a couple of fire chiefs on here in the, in the next few weeks. But, I mean, it's. 10% of the calls, actual fires could be even less. It depends on the department. It depends on how much code enforcement has been done. I, I can say that when we started the inspection program over a period of 10 years, we saw a reduction in the number of structure fires just because of the amount of prevention work we were doing. And okay. the other thing is, is it depends on the age of the community. You know, in an area like Cleveland where it's growing dramatically with a lot of new homes, you know, that the likelihood of having a catastrophic fire in a brand new home is a lot slimmer. I mean, right. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, right. but it's it's certainly less than an older 
home that may have wiring issues or things like that. Oh, that's true. Good point. So, Good point. Yeah. Well, and then these newer commercial buildings that you see around Clayton and Cleveland have sprinklers. Yeah. Uh, the hotels have sprinklers. I was on the JCC board for a long time. All the new buildings we built there had uh, the sprinklers were one of the most most expensive parts of the building, right. and and having to upgrade the sprinklers on the buildings that have been there since the seventies. I mean, I, I I learned a lot more about sprinklers. But I tell you what, you want them if there's a fire, you want them because a lot of times they'll put the fire out before the fire department even gets there. Absolutely, and that's that's excellent. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So you ended up, I guess you retired. You retired from the, right. So when did you retire? I retired about nine years ago. I guess. Okay. And then I, I went to work in, in our, my wife and I owned an urgent care, a primary care office, and a cardiology center. And so I, I have, was serving as their CEO and chief financial officer. And so we worked in that up until we sold those practices to MedFirst. And right. Then, so then I retired again and <laughs> got the idea that I wanted to have a retail store and a restaurant. I'm not sure what came over me there. It was a barbecue restaurant. It was a barbecue restaurant. It was very good. It was it was it was the at the pottery. Yeah, it was. It was. We had a good time, and you know, honestly, I, I enjoyed it. It's a lot of work. I, I have great respect for those who work in the restaurant industry every day, but it's very difficult to find help. And with food prices as they were, and you know, just changes in life, we decided to sell about a year ago this month. And, you know, we wish the new folks uh, great success in what they're doing. And so. Well, they've done a nice job. Yeah. I've been there. I think they call it low and slow. No, this one is no. called from the ashes. From the ashes. That's from right. Ashes. Right. From the ashes. Yep. And they were originally at the airport, right. at that restaurant. And then they've come over there and I ate it from the ashes a few weeks ago. It was good. Yeah. yeah they do. They do a nice job. Yeah. They're they, super nice people. They do a good job. And so uh, community supporters, they do fundraisers for baseball teams and stuff like that. They, they really have done a nice job there because you also had the restaurant and then you were selling barbecue sauces and barbecue grill equipment and that kind of stuff. Yeah. We, we had a store that was adjoining It's similar. We call it the company store and that you could buy grills and sauces and rubs and all the kind of barbecue equipment and, it was kind of a it was kind of a neat concept. COVID took a big hit on that because right. the outlet center actually shut down for so many months, and so we ended up just concentrating on the restaurant. The restaurant was very successful. It was just a it's just a tough business and really hard to find uh, employees that right. want to stay and you know do that type of work. So. Right. Well, and somewhere along the way, you became the head of the Johns County Republican Party. I was party chairman before I ever ran as a commissioner. I did that for two terms. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. And then when I decided that I was going to run for county commissioner, I stepped down as, as party chair. Right. So you were party chairman from like 14 to 18? It was 14. It was in that time frame, I think. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Right. <laughs> you were the party chairman when, when, when Trump ended up winning the first time, yes. 2016. Yes. I, I yes. remember that for sure. Yes. And then you ran for county, you, well, you ran for county commissioner the first time in 2014. I think that's correct. Right. And you lost by like 100 votes. Uh, it was very it close. Much, it, yeah. yeah. Well, it may not have been 100, but it was it a very, was very close, close race. Yeah. And then you came back in 2018 and you won that race. Yes. And 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 so then you became a county commissioner and you had no idea what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I had a, I had a little bit of a background in it because I had spent my entire career in state and local government. So that's I kind of knew how things operated. And, you know, so it wasn't a total surprise, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed it. There's a lot of challenges, but this is such an amazing county and the, the people 
are just fantastic. I mean, it's just a great place to be. And so I've, I've really been honored to serve in that, in that position and thankful to the people who put me there. Well, and the citizens reelected you. And I mean, I mean, you got 90% of the vote. I think when you re-ran for re-election in 2022 in the primary, you did not have a general election in 2022. So you must have done something right because the, the citizens voted for you overwhelmingly in that race. Well, let's talk about some of the things you have done, because one of the things you've done and one of the things you and I've talked about, and I have harassed you and harassed you, is parks. Right. And, and we've talked about parks on this podcast. And for those listening, if you've not listened to the episode that, that came out before this one with Adrian O'Neill, the County Parks and Rec Director, I ask you to go back and find that episode because he does a very good job of laying out how his position came to be, what he does, and all the different types of parks that we have here in our county. It is absolutely fascinating. I would definitely uh, encourage you to go back and listen to that. We're not going to have time to go through all of the park stuff with Patrick Harris today, but I want to talk about it a little bit in general. You and Butch Lauder were largely the impetus for the creation of a Parks and Rec director, which allowed Adrian O'Neill to be elected, be hired, correct? Yes, that, that is true. And of course, you know, the entire board, you know, came on board with us and, you know, we kind of pushed for that when we first started because, you know, up until that point, really the county had, had not gotten involved in parks and recreation at all. And we just felt like that it was just an important process to get involved in and the county needed to take the lead. You know, we have to set aside open space for quality of life. We've got to provide people, you know, places to have recreation. And as the county continues to grow, I think it's going to become more and more important that we have the foresight to set aside these areas and, and maintain them for, you know, for future generations. Right. And so one of the things the board did was they bought the land that is now going to be the, the community park at Polenta and Matthews Road out here in the Cleveland community behind the old DRL store, behind the Cleveland Fire Department. For those who are listening and may not know where Matthews and Polenta meet, there's 80 acres there. And then there's another 12 acres across the street from that. We talked to Adrian O'Neill a little bit about that on that previous podcast as well. But it also, you know, with part of that plan would be taking over the main GCAA campus behind the old Cleveland School across from the fire department where GCA has most of its programs and sort of redoing that too, right? Yeah, we actually sanctioned a study of a master plan, if you will, of parks and recreation in, in this area and really in other parts of the county. And it's, it's really important to have a plan moving forward so that as we implement you know, we're not duplicating services or, or not using the money as effectively as we as we should. And so, yeah, the GCAA area is is a vital part of that planning for the Cleveland area parks. Right. And so that and y'all have adopted a, a master plan for the for the main park and people can go online to the Johnson County website and, and look at that. The plan is there. You know, the question we asked him and he didn't know the answer because it's not his job. It's more yours. That park built out $50 million. It was the price tag I saw. Where does Johnson County get $50 million to build this state-of-the-art, beautiful park with soccer fields, baseball fields, walking trails, pickleball, dog parks? I mean, it's got everything. I, I, I mean, it may even have an aqua There's talk of maybe an aquatic center. Where does that come from? Well, it, it'll, it'll, it will come in time. You know, we'll just have to work on it piece by piece. I mean, we're doing a lot of grant writing at this point. There, there has been some discussion about the possibility of a, a bond uh, referendum at some point, a uh, parks and recreation bond. 
not sure about that yet. We're, we're still working through. And, and the key to these things are is the county has to balance this with all the other needs and requirements. You know, we've got to, we still have to build schools. We've got to build a, a, a DSS facility. We just built a detention center. We just built a public safety building. They're getting ready to start moving in that in January, the public safety building. And, and then we've got to renovate the courthouse. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of needs in the Correct. county. And so while this is very important, it also has to be balanced. Our debt service has to be balanced with the other needs as well. So we the, the, the key is we have to be able to do these things and think of the future, but we don't want to put the county in a, a financial difficult times. Right. right. And the county now has a, has a triple A bond rating, which it had been after for a very long time. And the commissioners and and I would say Rick Hester and and everybody gets, should get an A plus for that because you can't borrow money any cheaper than Johnson County can borrow money because we have such a high bond rating. We were really excited about that. And that's something that previous boards have worked on for years. And we, we just happened to be the board that was in place when, and, and we've all put a lot of effort into it, but we were really uh, happy to do that. You know, we had a good year. We got a triple A bond rating and we lowered the tax rate by four cents all in the same year, which is pretty phenomenal uh, for compared to other counties. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at Wake County where Wake County raises taxes more years than not, city of Raleigh has been raising taxes. Garner just had the largest tax increase in the history of Garner. I think last year, I think that's another reason why people continue to come towards Johnston County is as they see a, a well-run government that's not raising taxes every year, that's providing services. I mean, we have what I consider to be the best sheriff's department in North Carolina. We have a phenomenal sheriff and, and y'all are responsible for funding him as well. Yeah, we have a great sheriff. All our, our community services, our public safety is just really phenomenal. I mean, our EMS division, emergency services, our law enforcement folks, they just do such a great job. And, and it is our responsibility to make sure that they're well-funded and that they have what they need to protect the citizens of the county. Right. And, and there's a lot of money. I mean, the county's budget is, it's over $200 million. It's about $360 million. Yeah, $360 million. And it keeps getting bigger. Have family law questions? Need guidance to navigate legal challenges? The compassionate team at Breeden Law Office is here to help. Visit us at www.breedenfirm.com for practical advice resources or to book a consultation remember when life gets messy you don't have to face it alone now we're getting ready to go through the commissioners a few years ago decided that they were going to shorten the reevaluation period mm-hmm. and the law says you have to do it every eight years and forever that's what johnson county did right. but now y'all have changed that so yeah. explain that and what the citizens can look forward to with that so we did and, and you know every eight years it, it's such a dramatic change and so what we decided to do is, is that we would shorten that to six years. And then in every year, every time after that, it would be every four years. And that way, it's also in fairness that as the economy changes, you know, it could be that there's that, that the value, the values drop, you know, that hasn't happened, but it, it could be that possibility. So we just want to make sure that it's, it's fair to the citizens that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and that the values are, are fair of what the market is. So when is the next reevaluation period? We are, they are starting to gear up for it now. So I think 2026 maybe is when the next one, or 2025, 2025. 2025, yes. Right. And they take some, a year, I yeah. think, to go around because they look at each individual house, they look at the neighborhood yes. and they look at comparable sales. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think they even tried to see whether they think there's new windows. Like, I mean, I, I think there's more involved than yeah. just, oh, let's just look at Zillow. Right. And I don't know if the citizens realize that. Yeah, they actually go around and do assessments. I mean, they, they go through neighborhoods and, and make sure that, you know, because we want to we want to be fair about it, you know, and we, we don't want to collect more than we should and certainly not less than we should. We just want to make sure that it's correct. And then you have an, you have an opportunity to appeal that if, you, if you're not satisfied with it or you feel like it's not. You know, I've always looked at it this way. You know, if, if I've got an asset that I, I paid $200,000 for, and now it's worth $300,000. In my world, that's a good thing. You know, now, yes, it requires me to pay some more taxes, but look at that asset, how it's appreciated. So, it, you know, it's all how you look at it. Well, and, and, and Johnston County, I mean, you know, I mean, the houses have gone up so fast as, mm-hmm. as there's a, I mean, I know people complain about the growth, but, I mean, we still have a housing shortage in Johnston County. And I think the people listening to this podcast have to recognize that. I see it. As an attorney every day, you see it as a county commissioner. We do not have enough housing for the demand right now. We don't have enough apartments. We don't have enough rental places. We don't have enough mobile homes. We don't have enough single family homes. I mean, we just don't. And that is going to drive the price up in a straight supply and demand, capitalistic economy where we're at. And it's not stopping anytime soon. No, absolutely not. And it's it's important that we have a variety of housing. I, I happened to be in the grocery store about two weeks ago. And I was listening, I, I just overheard a conversation between the cashier and the young lady that was ahead of me in line. And she was purchasing, she was buying groceries for the first time for her new home. And she was so excited about that. And she was, she was telling the cashier all about it, that they had been able to afford this certain size house, you know. And, and it really hit me on how important it is to have, you know, affordable housing for everybody because everybody deserves the opportunity to have a home. And not everybody can live in a million dollar house. Right. You know, we, we need to have a variety. And so I, I think it's fantastic that we're you know giving opportunities to people like that to to let them grow and, and be a part of the community. And you're right. I mean, this is a desirable place to be. And it's there, there's no way to stop people from wanting to come and be a part of what we all enjoy. Right. And we can't do we can't do the whole drawbridge thing, right? We can't like Roll the drawbridge up because we got here and it's and the, and the road's a little more crowded and and stuff like that and and people people want to live here and and as they should I, I love this county you love this county I mean they 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 want to live here and and they're gonna they're gonna continue to move here it's just sort of how we manage that growth so the last sort of substantive question about some of what you're doing as a county commissioner and then we'll talk some about what you love about Johnson County is sewer capacity you know that is an issue. And, and the commissioners, uh, for those of y'all who listen to this podcast, Paul Flaherty was one of the very first guests that was on, and he talked about how what a good job the commissioners had done at sort of trying to push the growth back into the cities. Mm-hmm. And part of that has to do with the wastewater management. Can you tell the citizens who said, hey, do we have, because I just assume we're out, and that we don't have enough sewer capacity, wastewater treatment capacity. Do we, what are we doing? What does that look like? Well, we, you know, we, we are in process of building more. And so we've got a new sewer plant that will be coming online that will create more gallons per, per day of capacity. One of the things that we you know, sort of discussed early on a few years ago is that, you know, we wanted to try to slow down allocating sewer capacity for rooftops and try to maintain enough for industry that wants to come here and create jobs and, and you know, things, things of that nature. So that's one of the things that we did. We kind of tried to do that. And we tried to push the growth toward the, the, the municipalities. You know, if, if you continue to just 
put growth anywhere, your municipalities never get a chance to grow. And so we really wanted to try to help them along the, along the way. And I think that some, some, somehow has worked. So. But people living in the Cleveland community might be like, I don't know what growth you push to the municipalities, <laughs> looking at all the houses on Cleveland School Road. But, but so do you, does the county, does it have the capacity it needs? I mean, I've heard that maybe this new plant is going to be over capacity before it opens. Uh, no, I don't know if that's true. No, that, that, that is not. It, it, we do, you know, it depends on how fast we grow, I guess. But we are, we are developing more and more capacity. We're, we're going to, when we open the new plant, we're also going to continue to maintain the old plant and use some of the capacity there. There is a five-year, 10-year, and 20-year plan. Chandra Farmer is our public utilities director, and she has done an extraordinary job in managing this and managing the growth and the allocations. It's just a matter of, you know, we just have to build it and continue to be diligent in trying to create more. You know, it's it's all about nitrogen credits. It's how much can you pull out of the News River. Right. We are looking at some regionalization opportunities. There's a lot of discussion about uh, having the opportunity to maybe uh, discharge into the Cape Fear. And so all that takes, you know, takes a lot of time to pull together. But I, I will tell you that the county and the towns their mayors and managers, we're all coming together around the table and we're meeting regularly. And our chairman, Butch Lauder, has largely been the author of that to get everybody together and let's talk about what can we do to, to manage the growth and to, and to look into the future so that we can have the capacity that we need to create jobs and to bring other industry in and you know for people to be able to come to work and live here. Yeah, and, and I know that the towns have, have started, I mean, the towns have tried to work together. If you think about what's happening with Pine Level, mm-hmm. I think it, well, they had to put in a moratorium a couple of years ago right. because they had so many houses on the books right. and they were trying to figure out where they were going to get the sewer and the police and the fire protection for Pine Level, which was going to, I mean, grow 50% mm-hmm. in 10 years or something. And Pine Level had just been Pine Level forever. Right. I mean, so, you know, and I know that Benson and Four Oaks and Dunn were talking about making some sort of regional partnership. And then maybe Benson was going to pull out, but then maybe Benson got back in. But I mean, it, at least the concept of it, I think, is is positive. Yes. And, and that's one of the reasons we're having the meetings. We, we just brought all the players together. Uh, we've actually had some conversations with Harnett County, you know, to try to work cooperatively just to see what the options are and see what we can do to move forward with that. You know, I think it's important to have all the players together and, you know, let's, let's figure out a way to get this done and uh, be able to provide the capacity that people need. Well, and you have to break down the silos. Yeah, you know, I've been around government a long time and worked in the legislature and, and all that stuff. And, and I was on the board of the community college for, for four years. And really, that's the thing is everybody has to see it as a, as a more of a global problem, not yeah. a, an individual problem. And I think it's gotten with this kind of growth and this kind of pressure on the towns, they don't have any choice. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, Andy Moore, the mayor of Smithfield, he, he has to work with the county sure. now and, and, and the mayor of Selma and, and, and they've all got to, everybody's got to work together because it is beyond any individual government entity's ability to manage the kind of growth. And this growth is going all the way across the county, whether it's Princeton, whether it's, whether it's Benson, I mean, Wilson's Mills, Pine Level, like, 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 you know, just because you live in the Cleveland community, it is everywhere. Yes. Yes. And I, and I really want to commend the mayors and, and their, uh, the town leaders for coming to the table. They've really been great to work with. And we're trying to you know, put together some plans. You know, part of the issue is not necessarily capacity for the plant, but it's also the transmission line capacity. 
So that's something that we're having to work through as well. And, and you know, we, we've got a plan in place to be able to continue to do the expansion and growth that we need to do. It's just trying to think outside the box and see what the options are. Right. Cool. All right. Well, we've talked a lot and, and Patrick Harris and I will get on the phone and we'll talk for two hours and we won't even realize it's been two hours. So we will not do that on this podcast, but I guess I will ask you, what has you excited about Johnston County moving forward over the next six, 12, 18, 24 months? I mean, you got your pulse on everything. You're in the middle of a lot of decisions. What has you the most excited? I, I think just the, the excitement of the county itself. And, and the people, the people that are coming here, they're excited to be here. Uh, you know, Johnston County is in good shape financially. Uh, we're, we're sound. Our, our practices are in good shape. Our finance department does an extraordinary job. Uh, we've got a lot of good people doing a lot of good work. One of the priorities that the Board of Commissioners set was you know, certainly public safety and those things, but we also put a priority on our county employees because they're the ones that are delivering the service out to the people. And we can sit and make policies, we can adopt budgets, we can do all those things that we do, and none of it is effective if we don't have good people in the field delivering those services. So we're in the midst of talking about things like expanding the health department and building a new DSS building and, you know, Medicaid expansion came along. And so, you know, we're, we're getting geared up for that. And so there, there's just an exciting time. There's a lot of good things going on. When I look at parks and recreation, you know, I look at Adrian O'Neill's work around the county. You know, our county manager does an extraordinary job and be so personable. And, and I think he, he's one of the reasons that, that we just have such a, a great relationship with the community and with the, with the public. So, you know, I'm excited about all of it. It's just such a great day to get up. Every morning I wake up here, I'm just thankful to be here. Hey, me too. Me too. Well, that's great. I want to thank Patrick Harris for coming on. If people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Absolutely. You can go to the county's website. There is a page that says meet the commissioners you can look up each one of us and read about our background uh, there's contact information phone numbers email addresses uh, we also have public comments at every single meeting we have and so any citizen is welcome to come you know we i love to hear from the people i can't represent you if i don't hear from you and so you know feel free to pick up the phone and call and let's talk and we'll come out and sit down and if i, I need to talk to a church group or, or just talk in somebody's living room i'm happy to do that and i know the other commissioners are as well well, that's great. That's great. Well, that'll be it for this episode of the Best of Johnson County. If you would do us the favor of liking or subscribing or following this podcast on whichever format you're seeing it, whether it be YouTube, whether you're seeing it on one of our social media pages, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so that you'll be notified when the next episode of the Best of Johnson County podcast comes out. They come out every Monday and we have a lot of great guests. Uh, that have already been on and that are going to be on in the next few weeks. And I don't want you to miss it. If you would be as kind enough to give us a five-star review and comments and, and, and anything you want to say about Patrick Harris and what he had to say on the podcast today, we'll make sure we get those comments to him and be sure to reach out to him and the other commissioners. If you have any questions about that until next time, this is Jonathan Breeden with the best of Johnson County podcast. Thanks for listening. That's the end of today's episode of best of Johnston County a show brought to you by the trusted team at Breeden Law Office. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to sharing more interesting facets of this community next week. Every story, every viewpoint, adds another thread to the rich tapestry of Johnston County. If the legal aspects highlighted raise some questions, help is just around the corner at www.breedenfirm.com.